Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Mining community, welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining Podcast. And we have a, another returning guest today who appeared back in May 2020. So that's three and a half years ago, um, which was episode 79. Um, Adam Davidson is the CEO of Trident Resources, who are a diversified mining royalty and streaming company, uh, providing investors with exposure to a mixture of base and precious metals, uh, bulk materials. Um, and battery metals uh, royalty streams. Um, Adam comes through, uh, initially his career started in the US Marine Corps um, and then moved into the, the financial sector um, and worked for a few equity uh, equity funds um, and mine services companies before joining Trident back in 2019 um, as their CEO. And he's been there since. So um, he's, gonna, he's on the podcast today just to give us an update uh, since we last spoke a, f- uh, a few years ago. Um, also, there's been a lot of things happening uh, with the company, and um, he's going to give us an update on that. So that's welcome, Adam, to the podcast. How you doing, Adam? Great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Good for a, uh, I was going to say, a summer's day. Um, <laughs> it's September now, and uh, for, for here in the UK, suddenly the sun, sun has appeared in September, which doesn't normally happen. So... Uh, we can't we can't complain here in the UK. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I encourage those that are listening to go back and listen to that previous episode, which was back in May 2020, um, where Adam first came onto the podcast. Um, and and obviously now, obviously listening to this, see how far uh, they they have uh, travelled as a company. So Adam, I just want to even give our audience an update for those that didn't hear the the previous. Uh, podcast uh i want to just give us a, an overview of your career um as i mentioned you were in the uh, marine corps um i just want to even give us an overview of your career um and how it's developed to what it is today yeah sure yeah so as you mentioned i joined trident in uh 2019 and at that time and when we last spoke it was trident resources was effectively a shell company um had previously been looking for an asset to, to vend into the shell that sort of rto into a listing um, but then subsequent to that last conversation in June 2020, we delisted Trident Resources from the standard listing of the LSE and relisted on the uh, on the AIM market as Trident Royalties. Um, and we, when we listed, we had one royalty. Fast forward to today, we've got 20 now, 13 of which are cash generative. So it, it's been quite a sort of three and a half years since we since we last spoke. Uh, a lot of activity. Um, but to answer your question, in terms of my background, so prior to joining Trident, I was with a, a mining uh, private equity fund, resource capital funds, um, primarily focused on equity and mes debt investments, um, but had done royalties, you know, oftentimes sort of tack on a royalty as a bit of a, a return kicker uh, and just saw the opportunity in the sector and that the royalty sector is not small in, in mining, sort of circa 80 billion in aggregate market cap. But uh, sort of north of ninety percent of that is focused on precious metals. They'll occasionally delve into copper or some some other commodities, sort of selectively. 
But um, given precious metals, it's roughly a third of the overall mining sector, but 90% of the mining royalty sector seemed like a natural dislocation. So that was that was the segue for myself and another RCF colleague to to jump into Trident and uh, and launch the vehicle. Yeah. So I just wanted to give us an overview of of the company. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're a diversified mining royalty company. So whereas I mentioned, most of our peers are focused on precious metals. And that's sort of how the mining royalty sector had its genesis is uh, you'd, you'd have a, a copper mine, for example, that produces some silver as a byproduct, and you could put a stream or a royalty on that silver, um, whereas a, a precious metals focused royalty gets uh, gets valued differently than um, than the, the underlying miner that, that's got that byproduct. They're, they're being valued as a copper company, whereas if you aggregate these royalties and streams into a, a precious metals focused royalty company, you trade at a much higher valuation. Um, so there's an arbitrage there, whereas the, the mining royalty company can offer better value than the than the operators getting today for their byproduct credits. That was sort of the genesis of the sector. And as I said, it's now ballooned and there's sort of 20 plus precious metals focused royalty companies out there in the world now. Um, and the dislocation that we saw is is why you can't have a more diversified royalty company. And to be fair, there are a few out there that you can count on sort of one hand, um, the number of royalty companies that are focused on sort of the broader mining sector. Um, so when we last spoke, we'd secured one single cash flowing iron ore royalty. It's been a good royalty for us, but you know, fast forward today, that royalty has now paid itself back and we're into profit on it in sort of the space of three and a half years. And it obviously has life left to run on the operation. Um, but it's a good example of that these other royalties are out there. Um, and uh, so we went from just that exposure to iron ore. Now we've got iron ore, a um, little bit of mineral sands, copper, silver, gold, uh, most significantly lithium, um, and then constantly looking to sort of broaden and diversify that exposure. Um, but ultimately want to get to the point where a, a generalist investor in particular who, who likes the royalty uh, instrument as a means to get their exposure to the sector, you know, they could buy a share in Trident and, and through that single share say I've got exposure to the depth and breadth of the mining sector. As I mentioned, we've got 20 assets today. They're spread around the world, multiple operators, multiple jurisdictions. So you, you get this sort of inbuilt diversification through that single share. And, and the, our objective is to continue to broaden that diversification as we go. Yeah. Um, but obviously those that are maybe not familiar with um, obviously, the, how royalties work. I just want to even give us a, 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 a quick overview of how royalty streaming actually works. Yeah, sure. Yeah, in some ways, they're pretty simple instruments. Um, a royalty in its most basic form entitles the royalty holder to a percentage of revenue from the underlying operations. So you often kind of hear 1% royalty, 1.5%, 2% may sound like a small number, but keep in mind that's over the operator's revenue. So if they generate a hundred million in revenue, you get your sort of one to two million of that. Um, I think for all of us that have invested in mining equities, we all know that an operator may generate a hundred million in revenue. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're generating a profit. Um, so a royalty company doesn't really have that issue. I suppose one of the key advantages of a royalty over investing in mining equities um, in addition to sort of the inbuilt diversification of royalty companies that I mentioned, is that you're not exposed to, to operating costs and capital costs, at least not directly. Uh, obviously, if the mine becomes uneconomic un and shuts down, your royalty stops paying. But outside of that, you're not exposed. So, you know, we see profit margins of, of 
mining companies swing pretty substantially, especially in an inflationary environment. If, if diesel or labor costs increase significantly, you can go from having a profit to having a loss pretty easily. Whereas as a royalty company, you're getting exposure to the production profile of the underlying asset uh, and you're getting exposure to the to the commodity price. Um, but those are the two main inputs. So it's you know the, the amount of metal sold times the price it was sold at times your royalty rate. That's that's your exposure. So you still get the benefits of equity in that if they extend the mine life, that obviously benefits the royalty. If they expand the planned production profile, that it benefits the royalty. So you get a lot of the benefits that mining equities convey. Um, otherwise, people would just buy ETFs of the metals themselves. They want that asset level growth and exposure. You get that from a royalty, but you're doing so from a much better hedged position uh, in that you're only exposed to the top line of the PL ultimately. You're not exposed to their, their costs. So if, they, if there's a big CapEx ticket to uh, to expand the plant, guess what? We get exposure to that uh, increased plant expansion production profile. We don't have to pay for it, though. That comes out of effectively equities pockets because that CapEx is is cash flow that would otherwise be returned to shareholders as dividends or or in some other form. Yeah. Um, obviously, when we spoke three years ago, you had you mentioned you had one royalty, and now you've got over twenty. Um, I just wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about obviously the portfolio of royalties uh, that you've got at the moment. Um, obviously, with exposure to uh, precious metals and battery metals, etc. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it was always our objective to broaden and diversify um, the exposure within the portfolio and. Actually, when you look at our deals just in this year alone, we sort of continued that trend. We did a small mineral sands transaction, uh, which was a new commodity into the portfolio. We did a eight $8 million transaction on a near-term silver producing project. Um, silver was a new commodity within our portfolio. Uh, we've done a, a gold transaction. We, we did have gold in the portfolio, but this adds a new element to that. Uh, and then we've announced recently a, a new lithium transaction, um, and we have lithium in the portfolio as well. But this diversifies that that lithium exposure. So th that's really the name of the game at the end of the day for us is to to get good accretive royalties in the portfolio um, that have good line of sight to cash flow. Uh, obviously, if something's cash flowing immediately at the time of acquisition, and, and we have done some of those deals, but they're harder to find good value if something is is been paying for the for you know, a number of quarters, the seller of the royalty is going to want to see the full value for that. Um, so what we find our sweet spot is assets that are sort of two to five years from production. At that point in time, as your listeners would know, you usually have pretty good line of sight on permitting, although it may not be done yet completely. Uh, and you've got line of sight of what the project is actually going to look like uh, in its final form. So there may still be some study work to do. Uh, and obviously there's financing of the project to be done. But you can you can sort of see what what the tangible project will look like, and ergo for us, what the royalty cash flows will look like. Um, something that's earlier in exploration stage, you do want to have some of that exposure in your portfolio. But um, but if it's something is sort of five, ten years away from production, it just becomes a lot less tangible to investors. They want to see the nearness of cash flow because ultimately, where we want to get to is got thirteen cash flowing assets today, twenty assets in total. You know, we want to grow that number such that we're able to to flow a pretty steady dividend from a diversified portfolio back to our shareholders. So we're still in capital deployment mode where we're building out that portfolio to be able to reach that point. But um, but if you look at our our website, we've got a lot of material in our corporate presentation. You can see the analyst projections of our revenue. You can see sort of where we start to hit that tipping point where where the revenue is significant enough that we can start returning it to shareholders.
Um, obviously, you mentioned you're globally. Um, what sort of um, what jurisdictions are some of your uh, projects in? And also, what stages are some of these assets in? Obviously, you mentioned there's 13 cash flowing. Is there yeah. certain stages that some of these are in more so than others? And obviously, like life and mind, life and minds of some of these assets as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, with regards to jurisdictional exposure, we flagged that over 60% of our NAV, our net asset value is is in the US, Australia, and Canada. So obviously good tier one jurisdictions. Um, we want to keep that mix. Now that said, we're, we're open-minded with regards to jurisdictional exposure. We price in risk, obviously, with regards to certain jurisdictions. Um, so we're seeking higher returns for something that's in Africa versus something that's in Australia, um, by way of example. Um, and we don't want to get too overweighted with emerging markets. Uh, our investors don't want us to be an emerging market style exposure. So we want to keep that the proportionality uh, largely along the, the lines of what we have today. Um, with Stage, I, I touched on a little bit. We've got the assets that are producing. You know, when I look at our biggest NAV, uh, our biggest asset on a NAV basis is sort of, depending on your view of lithium, is about 25, 30% of our overall NAV. So a significant asset for us is the Thacker Pass lithium project um, in Nevada. And I use this one as an example because it, it's it's kind of the ideal deal for us. We acquired it in March 2021. At that point in time, uh, the pre-fees had been published. The feasibility study was not yet published, but it was a very advanced project. And uh, right before we acquired the royalty, uh, the operator Lithium Americas uh, had gotten the key final key federal permit um, to go into construction and then raised 400 million towards construction. So when we acquired the royalty from a third party, we did so with the knowledge that the permit would be challenged as they often are in the US. Um, but you fast forward to today, it's now run through that cycle. The permit's been upheld through multiple appeals. It's now final, they're in construction. We've seen some material events, General Motors investing 650 million into the project to get the offtake for domestic battery production. It's, it's grown into a really tier one royalty in a tier one jurisdiction. And it's done what we wanted to do as a royalty holder in the sense that uh, as they've moved from pre-feasibility to feasibility study, they also increased the planned production profile by a third. So that bumped our base case IRR for the deal from sort of mid-teens on a post-tax basis to sort of north of 20%. And then, of course, lithium has also progressed in that time. Um, you know, we were pricing in $12,000 uh, per ton long-term lithium. Consensus is now north of 20000 a ton. So again, bumps up our IRR. And, and that asset's got a 40-year life, um, once fully ramped up, 80,000 tons a year. Anecdotally, if you took the spot lithium price today and, and uh, the project at full production, it'd be paying circa $35 million a year to try it, and, and as I said, for multiple decades. So that's that's the kind of asset we want to find, and that's the kind of pathway that really unlocks some value. So you do, you undoubtedly you take some risk earlier on. Permitting was not guaranteed um, to clear all the appeals. Yeah, we, we didn't know the General Motors was going to be jumping into the project and become the largest automaker to get involved directly in battery minerals. But the, the project's progressed such that now that royalty is worth substantially more than what we originally paid for it. And, and when it's meant for first production in the second half of 2026, so you can see when that cash flow eventuates, as I said, it, it underpins the ability to start um, flowing that back to shareholders in the form of a meaningful dividend. Um, as your projects obviously globally, how do you analyze each each project that comes across your desk? 
Um, is there a, a particular formula that you use or is there certain characteristics that you, you look at at each project before then deciding to move forward? Yeah, there's, there's probably no secret sauce here. It's, it's not dissimilar from our days in private equity. And, and I haven't really mentioned the management team at Trident, but all of us have either mining, banking or private equity background. So I've been doing this for a while. Um, in some respects, royalties are a little bit easier. You want to make sure that the that the project is economic, um, but whereas an equity holder, you need to drill down into sort of the, the specifics on CapEx and diesel assumptions and, and everything else. From our perspective, we're, we're less worried about that because we're not trying to analyze the sort of ultimate profit margin. We need to make sure that the, the asset's defensive enough that it can survive the inevitable cycles in mining. But if it's an asset that's robust enough that it, it, it will be economic through all cycles, then you know, happy to lay, layer a royalty in over top of that, um, and you'll get that sort of long life um, life of mine uh, exposure. Um, so yeah, I guess the short answer is it's, it's not dissimilar from our, our previous days. Although we we probably focus on on some aspects more than you would as a, as an equity investor, and, and some aspects less. Um, so a slightly tailored approach. And then obviously we have to naturally look at it from how it fits into our portfolio. I think. You know, in the early days, we were very much open to um, you know, the most accretive deal wins, whatever's going to add the most value to our share, uh, to every single share in Trident. That's the objective. Um, and that's still, by and large, the objective, although I think we're building out the portfolio enough now that you'd sort of, you start to have a preference for, say, more base metals or getting a nickel royalty into the portfolio versus another gold royalty. So to be sure, if it's a good gold royalty, we'll, we'll still do it. But um but yeah, it was, it's starting, there's a bit more finesse to it now, I think, as, as the company's grown. Yeah. And are you focusing on any particular commodities at the moment and moving forward? Yeah, I suppose it, it's always been the case that with so many gold royalty companies out there, we, we're opportunistic when it comes to gold royalties, but it's not, I wouldn't say the core focus. Really, base and battery metals are where we see the most opportunity in the sector, just given it's less competitive from a royalty perspective. Yeah, this is probably highlight. We actually sold some royalties earlier this year, uh, which is pretty unusual for a royalty company. You you tend to want to build your portfolio and keep expanding it. But um, in this case, we sold some exploration stage gold royalties to Franco Nevada, which is the big big player in the sector, thirty billion market cap, uh, gold focused royalty company. Uh, from our perspective, we bought these royalties for about six and a quarter million uh, two years ago, and then we sold them for um, up to fifteen and a half million. Um, 14.3 that was paid in Q2 of this year. And then the rest is sort of linked to uh, production timing on one of the royalties. But uh, yeah, so that, that was a two and a half times return on our uh, deployed capital. Allows us to then recycle that capital into new deals. Those assets still have some time before they're into production um, uh, being exploration stage. So from our perspective, um, that this just pulled forward cash flow pretty substantially. And, and we were able to monetize those assets for more than we were carrying them with regards to internal valuation. So to be able to recycle that capital is a real positive for us. But I guess back to your question, that that highlights that we see opportunities in gold royalties that maybe fly below the radar of some of our peers. We want to take advantage of them when we can find those royalties. But the focus is more on, on base and battery metals and to a lesser extent industrials and, and bulk commodities as well. And how is the royalty space at the moment? It is... Are sort of mining companies favoring more of the royalty stream rather than going, I suppose, to traditional finance options? 
Yeah, they, they are. I mean, it's not dissimilar again from our private equity days and that there's kind of a good time to deploy capital and when, when markets are soft, um, when markets are, are overheated, uh, the mining companies can go out there and just raise capital in the equity markets at sort of all time high share prices. So the opportunity for us to deploy capital then, then lessens. Um, and I think at the moment we're, we're sort of in that former scenario where most mining companies, uh, markets are soft, their share prices are off from where they maybe last raised equity. So they're not not eager to go out there and, and raise uh, below where they last raised uh, capital at. Um, and yet they still need to move their projects forward. They can't sort of sit on their hands. You know, over over time, they've seen sort of their, their treasury start to start to whittle away as they've been using cash on their projects. So now we find that parties that previously maybe weren't particularly receptive to a royalty because, you know, the royalty gets put over their property it's there in perpetuity. It doesn't go away. It can't be diluted down. Um, so that there are reasons why mining companies don't want to put a royalty on their property. But if the alternative is to issue a very highly dilutive equity raise that's damaging to their share price um, on the long-term basis, then a royalty makes more sense. And then we're, we're in that part of the cycle, we feel. Yeah. Uh, lastly, I just wondered, obviously, you announced uh, two deals uh, recently. Um, what can we expect from Trident for the remainder of the year going into 2024? Yeah, as I, as I alluded to, we're, um, so we announced two deals, one in uh, August and one in um, early September. And, and and our more recent one before that was in May. So we, we've hit quite a stride in terms of announcing new transactions. And I suppose I'd guide people to, to keep an eye on us because we're continuing to work pretty pretty diligently and uh, on, on some other Pretty attractive transactions. Um, you, you know, never say they'll never say never until everything's sort of signed on the dotted line. But it, but it feels like a couple of these are moving in the right directions and some deals that we're pretty excited about. Um, another work stream for us is lowering our cost of capital. One of the benefits of royalty companies is they're just very leverageable vehicles. From a bank lender's perspective, you can lend to a mining company. You know, a mining company with our sort of similar market cap would maybe have one mine in operation or maybe just a development project. Um, so it's you're exposed to single asset risk if you're the if you're the lender, uh, you know, a wall failure and suddenly your debt's in trouble. Whereas with a royalty company, you know, a dozen plus cash flowing assets and exposure all over the world, multiple commodities, it's just a very le leverageable style instrument. Um, layer on top of that, the fact that we don't operate these mines. We've got a team of five people. Um you know, royalty companies love to crow about their revenue per headcount relative to mining companies because even Franco Nevada, I think, has less than 50 people, uh, 30 billion market cap. You know, these are financial instruments that we we diligence, we acquire them, then they sit in the portfolio, you monitor them, you audit them from time to time, but uh, but we're not operating the mine. So um, so I say all that because lowering our cost of capital is is a key to this business as well. And that's where we can steal a, a page out of the playbook of our gold-focused peers. And that is you broaden and diversify uh, your asset base. Obviously, lenders will lower their cost of capital. And we've seen that ourselves. We've, our very first facility was 10% was, um, plus LIBOR. Then we got a facility with Macquarie Bank that was 7.75. It's subsequently lowered to 5.75. And a continual work in progress. Ultimately, where, where we'd like to get to is a revolver. Um, which you see a lot of the other royalty companies that are a touch larger than us have, whereby you can draw down the facility to make an acquisition, sort of pay it back from cash flow and repeat that process. So you're you're reducing the number of times you need to go to equity investors and, and then we suffer share dilution as we do equity raises. So 
Um, so that that's also a key work stream for us, in addition, obviously, the deals, which are an ever-present work stream. Adam, thank you for your time. Really appreciate you uh, giving us an update uh, on Trident. Um, obviously, when we last spoke, you had one, one royalty, and obviously now you've got 20 plus. So obviously, wish you well. Uh, for the remainder of the year going into next year um, and perhaps come onto the podcast uh, in, in say, later next year where you might have uh, a few more royalties in the uh, portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, no worries. Um, thank you for listening. Sorry, I, I forgot to ask. Um, if Obviously, if anyone wants to uh, follow you, um, how can they follow you? What social media platforms and channels are you on? Yeah, so we're, we're active on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, and we, we post pretty regularly uh, with regards to updates. As you can imagine, with a big portfolio of assets, there's there's a lot of kind of organic growth within the portfolio, so we're kind of constantly flagging that. And then I'd encourage people to go to our website, tridentroyalties.com. You can sign up for the um, any, any updates. Uh, we don't... Uh, uh, we don't we don't spam anybody. We don't put out updates sort of every week. So when we put something out, we try to make sure it's meaningful. And so I'd encourage people to sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, we can include that information in the show notes accompanying this. So uh, easy access yeah, to uh, people that listen to the podcast. So uh, all the best for the remainder of the year and in going into next year, uh, Adam. Um, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Please keep sharing these episodes. Uh, like I say, always not just people within our mining industry, but people outside of the mining industry. Um, it's important that we we strengthen the, the brand of mining by show, showcasing uh, some of the companies and some of the guests that I have on the show to people outside of the mining industry. So they, they get to understand what mining is about um, and the value that it adds to our society. So appreciate your continued support. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.